are in a, uh, the week two of our series called Honor. Last week, if you weren't here, we celebrated Mother's Day. And, and scripture says, hey, we are to honor our moms and our dad. We looked at what is the goal of parenting in that. And today we're going to continue that series called Honor. I mentioned earlier in the announcements that we are... Um, on the cusp of summer, like it's, it's, it's already here, it's warmed up, Our, we're ready for the pool, we're ready to go. One of my favorite activities growing up in the summertime was going to baseball games, uh, specifically St. Louis Cardinals. If you know nothing about me, I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinal fan. But when I was about eight or nine years old, there was, um, we, were, we were in Milwaukee. We were on a trip in Milwaukee, and it just so happened that the Brewers were playing the Oakland Athletics. And at the age eight or nine, my two favorite players in baseball were Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. Now, you don't have to know anything about these guys at all, but at the time they were known as the Bash Brothers because these guys were just left and right, just cranking out home runs, and you can think about the steroid era and all that sort of stuff, but it was awesome, okay, as an eight or nine year old, awesome. They were playing in Milwaukee where we were at, so we got to go to a game. Not only that, we got to go early, and, and watch them hit batting practice. And so we were really excited because I was getting to see my favorite, or I was really excited, got to see my favorite players. Anyway, we go there and not only could we watch them, but we could, we could go all the way down to the dugout to get like a real close view, maybe get some autographs. So we get down to the dugout. Well, there's like a sea of people around the dugout and you can see very quickly that there's no way you're going to get a, an autograph. So I was like, okay, okay. But right over to the side, no one was there and you could actually walk down to the very front row right to the edge of the field and you actually get a better view of the Bash Brothers, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco hitting batting practice. So I'm like, okay, not going to get the autograph, but there they are, my favorite players and I'm watching them. So this is great. And, and in batting practice, they're just, I mean, cranking out home runs. It's a show. It's awesome. And I, I'm going, going nuts. And then all of a sudden, this guy stands right next to us and he goes, hey, Harry. And we're like, dude, we're watching batting practice. And he goes, hey, Harry really loud just yelling out onto the field and we're like come on and about three or four times I mean he just keeps going keeps going not and we're like this is annoying stop we're we're trying I'm trying to, to watch this and all of a sudden about the fifth or sixth time Mark McGuire is standing at the batting cage and he hears hey Harry and he turns around and looks directly at the guy standing right next to us who we're getting annoyed at not only does he turn around and look, but he stops everything he's doing and he trots right over to the man and starts having a conversation. Here I am, an eight or nine year old, my favorite player. I'm like, dude, shut up. And all of a sudden, there's my favorite baseball player. Not only did he come over and talk to the guy, not only was he standing like right here, he touched my arm. <laughs> and I remember as an eight or a nine year boy, I was like, I'm never taking another shower for the rest of what Mark McGuire touched my arm. Sometimes, sometimes we um, are in the middle of something and we don't realize what really is going on. I was in the middle of something. I was not aware of what was going on. These guys had a connection and they knew one another. I was annoyed. I just didn't know what was going on. Sometimes um, we don't know what's going on because we get too busy. I, I don't know if you've had this moment. I remember one time we were getting off an airplane and I was talking to my parents on the, on the phone and you, just kind of through the rush of getting out of the airplane and talking on the phone and doing different things, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's, where's my phone? Where's my phone? 
And my wife looks at me, and the people traveling with me are like, you're an idiot. And my parents, I'm going, Where are my phone? where's my phone? Where's my phone? They're like, dude, you are an idiot on the phone. It was right there. I just get too busy. Listen, there are things sometimes in our life, we just, we're in the moment, and we lose focus, and we don't realize what's going on. Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes we're just too busy, and we're going. There's an area in my life that we're going to talk about in honor today that I just didn't know. I didn't know what was going on with what God thought about in honoring us. And it, it has to deal with our finances and in giving. And until I realized what does God's view on this, it really helped me to understand. So today, I want to talk about how do we honor God. Because it very, very clearly says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord, honor the Lord with your wealth. And the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And all the non-Baptists said, Amen. <laughs> Honor the Lord. There you go. There you go. I like it. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Listen, today, as we talk about honoring God with our finances, this is not a giving Message, Because as you look at scripture, and as we're going to hopefully unpack today, you're going to see that this is a gospel issue. Uh, I used to think there were two separate things. You had this Jesus thing, and then you had this giving thing. But the two are together. Like the Bible, if the noun of scripture, if the noun of Bible is Jesus, like everything is about Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus. If the noun of the Bible is Jesus, then the verb is give. Because the two go hand in hand. John 3.16, one of the most popular verses in scripture for God so loved the world that he gave. And we have a core value here at Freedom Church that is you cannot outgive God because that is who he is. He just continually gives and gives and gives. And so today I want to unpack why. why what is this giving thing? Why does God want us to honor him? to get us a better understanding of this. Um, if you have your Bible, I want to open up to, uh, to Exodus, Exodus chapter 36. There's plenty of passages of Scripture that speak to this. Today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 36. Um, and in this passage, just as you're turning there, it's going to be up on the screen as well. Israel has just been freed from slavery out of Egypt. It's the Exodus. They have, they have gotten out of slavery and they're on their way to the promised land. Now, a couple months ago, we looked at Joshua and, and, and we find out that this generation in Exodus didn't make it into the promised land. They, they, they made a mistake um, and they didn't enter. That's in the book of Numbers. This is just getting them up to the promised land um, in, in this situation. And so Israel has escaped slavery. They're now on their way to the promised land. They kind of have some hiccups in, in and out there, but that's, this is the main point of the, of the book of Exodus. But in verse 36, starting in, in, in verse 2, it says, The Lord has gifted Bezalel 
Aholiab and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Time out right there. I don't know if anybody um, is, is pregnant with kids or you're thinking about having kids, but um, sometimes Bible names are, are good. I don't know if you've ever thought about Bezalel. I just want to put it out there to you. Just think <laughs> high school football and like an income for the tackle is Bezalel. I mean, that is a pretty... Intimidating name. Bezzy, yes. Aholiab, I don't know quite what they're, even in Bible times, not sure what they were thinking with that one. But anyway, uh, all right. Time back in. Time in. It says, let these guys, let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and all the others who were specially gifted by the Lord. I love this. And they were eager to get to work. They're building this tabernacle and it's like mobile church. They're building mobile church, what we're doing, and they were eager. What I love about our volunteers, you guys, are, you guys are knocking it out of the park. Each and every week we come in here, we set, we clean, you're here for a while. But I, I'm just telling you, I am so grateful for you serving. One of our core values, saves people, serve people. And we're trying to create welcoming environments where people feel welcomed here, but where they can en- encounter God. And so I'm so thankful for that. It says, Moses gave them materials donated by the people of Israel as sac- sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. They are just loving this giving thing. Morning after morning, they just keep giving. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. More than enough. I have never heard a pastor <laughs> preach this message. And, I, and usually I say, I don't know about you, but I do know this about you. You have never heard a pastor preach this message. Stop giving. <laughs> what was going on here? Because this is, this is um, a different type of giving than what we are used to seeing. And, and as I looked at this and was, was, was reading over this, I was like, man, maybe Moses was just, I don't know, like whatever. He's lucky. Like he just got a good group of people. Maybe it was Christmas time. It was the end of the year offering. They were feeling generous. And then you're like, I'm reading it. I'm like, oh man, they didn't even have Christmas yet because Jesus wasn't born. So like what really is going on here? Because these guys are giving like crazy. And in order to really understand this type of generosity we got to understand it's not just a giving issue there's something much deeper here much it's rooted and more complex than just giving there's something going on here that created a generosity in their spirit that we can we can learn and put in, in place in our lives so that we can we can be generous people we can honor god with our finances with our uh are giving. In order to really understand this, you've got to go back to the beginning of Exodus. At the beginning of Exodus, Israel, everyone in Israel, all had the same occupation. Slaves. They were all slaves. They were born into slavery. They knew when they were growing up 
that they were going to be slaves and they knew that they were going to die as slaves. They had been in slavery for over 400 years with no hope. There was no nation strong enough that was going to come in and take out Egypt and invade and wipe it out. There was no hope of, of freedom. That's what the, the situation was at the beginning of Exodus. Then God enters the scene. And when God enters, he provides a leader in Moses. He says, Moses, I pick you. You are going to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he, they have this, you got to read it. They have this dialogue back and forth. Ah, I don't know if I can do it. And then finally he convinces, yes, you can. So then Moses comes in to, to Israel in Egypt and says, hey, I'm gonna, we got this. We're going to go and we're going we're gonna to be free. We're going to go to Pharaoh. I'm going to tell Pharaoh what's up. And we're going we're gonna to march right out of here. We're going to free. And the people are like, yeah, let's go. And they go, but it's also a process, right? There wasn't just one plague and they were out of there because that's what they wanted, immediate deliverance. But we've also seen in these past few weeks and months that what? God works through a process. There were 10 plagues that they had to go through. They had no hope. They went from slaves at the beginning of Exodus to giving like crazy in Exodus 36. So today I want to go through, if you're taking notes, I want to go through an acronym today called SLAVE. And the S, the first letter S, stands for salvation. Salvation. All of them were slaves at the beginning. They're giving like crazy. There was no doubt in their mind how far they had come. They knew that apart from God's mercy, that apart from his hand, they had no hope. Everything they had in their hands to give was being supplied by God. They were saved. They knew it. They knew that their salvation was from God and God alone. Sometimes, sometimes, the church in America, we get this tripped up. We think, hey, I was, I was a bad person, and then God made me good. Or sometimes we're, we get in this idea of, it's, not, it's like, I wasn't even that bad. I mean, if you look at those people, they were really bad, all right? I wasn't that bad. And then I prayed a prayer, and then it got me in the door. Um, but that type of thinking is just not in Scripture, at all. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And to be quite honest, if you look at scripture, it doesn't take many sins. It just takes one. It says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that we weren't bad. We were dead. We had no hope of being made right with God. And this, Israel understood. They had no hope of freedom outside of God. They had no hope of salvation outside of God. One of the core foundations of being a generous person, of being generous and having a generous heart, a generous attitude, is gratitude. And really, you cannot spiritually have gratitude for something until you have a an understanding of this death. I, we were dead. 
And then Jesus made us alive. God made us alive. That right there is going to be the, the foundation of your gratitude, which will then spark generosity in your life. And that's just for any area of your life. If you want to be giving towards your, your spouse or your kids, ha- being grateful for your spouse, that person who you would have given anything to on wedding day, and then 10 years down the road is the person who you're battling and fighting, but you've lost that gratitude. Oh man, I would do anything for you. And then we lose that gratitude. Understanding that spiritually, spiritually we bring nothing to the table. Our salvation is provided by God and God alone. Then they're giving like crazy in Exodus, Israel is, and they got this. They saw giving wasn't a rule It wasn't an obligation, something we have to do. It was an opportunity to express their gratitude. It was an opportunity to express everything that that God had given me. I get to say thank you and be a part of this because I know that he brought me from death to life. The L stands for leadership. Leadership really does matter. They made it out of slavery because of God's power, but he did it through a leader, Moses. And God gave Moses some vision and direction to lead them, especially in this area of wealth. He said in in Exodus chapter 3, God tells Moses, he says, "Um, I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and find clothing from their Egyptian neighbors and from foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. So God gave this uh, vision, direction to Moses to which he led the nation of Israel to understand, hey, when we leave, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go down. And so when they understood that, when Moses led them to that understanding and they went from slavery to freedom, they were really able and willing to give in that situation. God has given you and I vision and direction when it comes to our finances. It's not something um, hidden in Scripture. It's, there's tons of Scripture on how he says he wants us to honor. We're only looking at just a very, very few. But you don't have to wonder, does God want me to be generous? Does God want me to be a generous person or does he want me to be stingy? I, I'm trying to... No, it's in Scripture. It's very clear. He's given us direction on how to do that. And not only that, it's not so much in this passage of Scripture, but there's others that say... When you start living the generous life, when you start giving, that God's going to, in a way, that's a leader in God's eyes. That he's going to start, if I can trust you with a little, then I can trust you with more. And that's not necessarily money, but we're again thinking kingdom, the unseen. He wants to give that person he can trust responsibility. Oh, you're going to be faithful with a little? I'm going to trust you with even more and that's leadership in God's eyes that's a heart it's not about the amount that you give it's that attitude in the heart that level of sacrifice you can remember the woman who went to the temple and Jesus is watching the disciples are watching and everybody's putting in their money everybody's putting in their money and the one woman comes in and she gives what like two little pennies virtually nothing of significance and Jesus because he knows her heart 
because he sees, he reads their heart, he reads your heart like a book. He says, that woman gave more than anybody else. That's the type of heart, that's the type of attitude Jesus is looking for when it comes to generosity, when it comes to those who are willing to give. And when he says when you do that, he will give you leadership. The A stands for able. Again, they had no doubt in their mind that God was completely able, able to take care of them. One of the top reasons, and I, and I, really, I really do identify this, one of the top reasons people don't give in church is fear. Because it's like if I, if I give, I'm, I might have to go without here. And I don't know if I can do that. If I give, then, then I don't know if God's going to do certain things. Like, fear. And it's real. And I, and, I, and I get that. But they understood. They understood that God was able to overcome any situation. Not only did he get them out of Egypt. But Rita was talking a buffet earlier. Um, sorry to talk about food so close to lunch. But they had a manna buffet provided for them every single morning. They needed food and God provided daily for them. Not only that, they were in the desert kind of going through and um, out of nowhere, God provided water straight from a rock for them to drink from when they needed water. God was providing for them and they saw it time and time again that he was able to take care of them. Malachi, a prophet in the Old Testament, speaks directly to this. In chapter 3, verse 10, Malachi says this. He says, bring all the ties into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Again, another food reference. I'm sorry, but he's talking about bringing the tithe, which literally means 10%. Bring 10% of your produce to the storehouse, to my, my temple. In some of your translations, it says, bring it to my house. Now, we don't have a temple. In it, now, God's house is what? Church. Yes. So he says, bring 10% the tithe to my house. Bring it to church. And then see what happens. He says, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. The only place in scripture where God says, test me. Just test me. Finances. Giving. He says, put me to the test on this one and see if I don't come through. See, trust me, trust me and see that I am able. And I know there might be some pushback to this because I've heard it a lot. Even in my seminary, in my seminary classes, there were students that pushed back on this because they said, Mike, this is Malachi, Old Testament. He's saying tithe. But that's Old Testament. We're under grace in the New Testament, Jesus, and so it's not in there. But if you look in Scripture, I want to highlight one thing in Scripture, and this one's very key. This is very important. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. He's, he's in a conversation with some Pharisees, some religious leaders. And he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. Now, he's not in a very nice conversation with them. Sometimes we think Jesus is a softy. He was very direct. Why? Because he's about his kingdom. He's about his kingdom. And it's not what we see. 
He says, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And I'll be honest, the scriptures speak a ton to honoring God with our wealth. But if this one were the only one in scripture, if, if it said nothing else in scripture except for this, I would do it. Because my Lord and my Savior, Jesus, said you should. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you for the next 90 days this summer. I just want you to, I want to challenge you to put, put God to the test on this. That for the next 90 days, would you consider tithing and giving and see if God is not faithful See if God does not back up his words. This does not mean, this does not mean, I want to be very clear, this does not mean, oh, I give 10 today, and in the 90 days, God's going to give me 100. I'm your pastor. I have to see you next week. That's not how it works. God's blessings are not always physical. They can come in many different ways, and again, in the way that are priceless when it comes to peace and joy. I want to challenge you for the next 90 days to give. You can go online. You can click on the little, there's the, the, the give button right there. It's safe. It's secure. You can get it done in like 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Put God to the test. And I'll say this too, and I'm dead serious about this. After 90 days, and this doesn't make you a better Christian or less Christian or anything like that at all. I'm, I'm dead serious. If you don't feel like God's true to his word on this one, you can come talk to me, and we will, give, we will give every penny back. Because I believe God at his word, and I believe that he, he will. I don't want to force anything upon you. I know this is a tough issue. This is a hard one. But I also know God said, put him to the test. So this isn't, I, God doesn't need your money. Church doesn't need your money. I don't, I don't want it. But he says, when you do this, blessing. That's what I want. I don't want anything from you. God doesn't want anything from you. He, he wants to bless you. And he says, do these things and blessing will come. So I want something for you in these things. That's putting them to the test. That's putting them to the test. Israel gave and gave and gave. They understood that everything came from him. They weren't going to be able to outgive him. And I get it. I was afraid. I was afraid. I remember, I remember when I first started, I was 23 years old and I started to give and I kind of just tipped God like he was a waiter or a waitress, okay? And then, and then I started to get this idea that God wanted me to, to give and kind of tithe. And I started on the net and then I realized the government doesn't take off the net and then I started to tithe off the gross. But what that did, it's going to lead into our next thing was vision. God started to unlock some things in me. God started to bring blessing into my life and I could see some things that I couldn't normally see on the other side of that. Before God got involved, their vision was slavery. All they could see, all they could imagine, that was slavery. After God got involved, 
It unlocked vision. It was freedom. It was promised land on the horizon. He started to open up doors for them. And I believe, I just, this is just me, I really believe that when you, when you allow this component in your life of generosity to start to live through and you overcome these fears, I believe personally that God starts to unlock some things in your life. He starts to unlock some components of vision and some ideas in your life. It may be financially, it may not have nothing to do with that, but I believe that he gives you some of that vision. One of my favorite examples is Barnabas. Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, our introduction to, to Barnabas, he, um, he sells an entire piece of property and gives it to the church for the mission of advancing the gospel. He says, just sells it all and gives it to the church. Crazy, sacrificial giving. And then Barnabas, as you see him through Acts, this guy's a major player. People are getting saved left and right. He's going on missions. He's, he's huge. And I wonder, I just wonder, if Barnabas was not willing to submit to God at that initial selling when he sold that property and give it over, I wonder if he would have been able to accomplish all those other things. I believe that giving unlocks a, a level of vision in your life. There's some things that we might be chained and bound up. We may not even know it. But this starts to unlock some of those things. I know for Freedom Church, we are at the very beginning of this thing. We are in the infancy stages and we are setting a foundation. And I am so thankful and grateful for everyone who has given, who has come on Sundays. You've given of your time. You've given of your finances. You have, you have prayed on behalf of, of Freedom Church. And I really believe that God wants to set people free in Los Alamos. He wants us to reach Los Alamos. If we reach Los Alamos, that means we are going to reach the lab. And I guarantee you, if we reach the lab, because of its unique placement um, on this planet, it's going to reach the world. There's people from all over the world coming here and going, coming and going, coming and going. And I believe he wants to use Freedom Church to do that, to help play a part of that. And that's a big mission. That's a lofty mission. But if we looked at Acts chapter 8, what was that mission? Hey, you're going to be my missionaries. You're going to tell people about me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? To the ends of the earth. That's our mission. And we are building a place where people come in here who are lost and they get found. Where the found take their baby steps, they take their next steps, and they grow in their relationship with God. People are, are, like Rita was talking about, they're bound up, they're chained up, and they need to take that next step, and they're set free. Where people need a second chance. Where our kids are in an environment where they, they fall in love with Jesus, they're taught about Jesus on their level, and they want to come back week after week after week. The vision that God has placed on Freedom Church is to reach not only this town, but the world. And I think he wants to use you to get it started. That's why we are here. And he wants to unlock those things in our lives. And the last letter is E, everything. Everything they knew, as we've said, was slavery. And now everything had been set free. Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What an amazing promise that when we say yes to Jesus we can be saved but we're also saying when we say yes to Jesus we are saying he is Lord he is commander not just of the heavenly armies he is commander of my life so if we can trust God with eternity 
I'm going I'm to trust you with my eternity, Jesus. But we struggle. We struggle with this financial peace. How can we trust him with our eternity, our soul? Ah. And I get it. You want to know why? You want to know why this is so tough? I mean, this, this is not easy, but this is unseen. This right here, that's a vacation. <laughs> this is a, a mortgage payment. This is a, a, a car payment. Or, this is tangible. I can see it. Ah, that's a lot. Uh, I could trust God, but Mike, I don't, ah, gosh, I don't know. Ah, you can touch it. You can see it. Grace, grace is unseen. Faith. Faith is belief in the unseen, but what? It's active. We live it out. Everything, everything comes from God. When we surrender to Jesus as Lord, we surrender everything. Israel, get this, Israel surrendered everything to him because they knew everything they had was from him. And for us, we will only understand that everything we when we will only understand this that everything we will surrender everything to him when we fully understand that everything is from him. Again, this is not just giving. This is not just a giving issue. It's a gospel issue. It is who God is. We were slaves. God set us free. So everything is from him, which means everything goes back to him. Let's pray.